Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Almighty Podcast. This is Adam. And this is Earth Nerd Atkins from nerdsonearth.com. And what are we covering this week? We're doing episodes 34 and 35 of My Hero Academia. Uh, we just finished up the Hero Killer Stain storyline and we're getting into, I guess we, I mean, the students have returned back to class and at this point they're just finishing up their finals before going on what appears to be some sort of summer camp. Yeah, and actually, my first note for these two episodes was I, I all I was all I could recall from the end of episode thirty three was that I was super jazzed about there being a camp out with Aizawa, <laughs> and so I sit down for episode thirty four, and it's called Gear Up for Final Exams. And my first note is just, well, I was so excited about the concept of a camp out with Aizawa that I totally forgot about this whole final exam thing. But it's still gonna be awesome. It's it's totally worth the ride. It's it's not like a hindrance whatsoever, or an obstacle to overcome. It's definitely more viewing to be enjoyed. Oh yeah, yeah. These episodes were great, uh, and and I guess my understanding is is if they don't pass their finals instead of going on this summer vacation with Aizawa, they're going to be stuck in summer school, right? That is, yeah. That's that's what we learned at the very end, and that's where we had the funny uh, comedic beats with Mineta, who was like suddenly super encouraging to all yeah. the girls in the class and reminding everybody that campouts meant bathing. Uh, so, and we actually start episode 34 off with even more Mineta goodness. It doesn't seem like it at the top, like, because it presents itself as like the, like a talk show featuring yeah, it some seemed heroes. Like a, it's like, like a today debate. on. Yeah. 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 And, but as soon as they introduce the people that are going to participate in this debate, I just wrote a note down that just said Mineta is 100% recording this somewhere. <laughs> and it turned out to be true. So it, it's this guy who comes out and he's hosting this talk show. And the, the topic of the day is, is sexiness necessary for hero work? And he brings in as his two, uh, I guess, debaters, uh, Mount Lady at Midnight. And for a minute, I thought that I was like, wouldn't exploring this question require opposing sides instead of like two people who are presumably on just one side of this uh, discussion? Yeah. Well, and he actually, he mentions that there was some sort of bill that was passed because of Midnight. I guess back in the day, she was incredibly scandally clad. Like, and you know, it's funny because they show a picture of her and I don't think she looked all that different from Yaya Rosa's outfit. So. Oh, she was, I thought she was wearing considerably less than Momo. I mean, I basically, really? I put down in here, Midnight's first costume has her showing more skin than a body's exhibit at a museum. Like she, all <laughs> she had was like, she was wearing less clothes than, uh, than the character from Fifth Element, than Lilu when she gets those little straps what? shot over her body. It's I'm convinced risky. we watched, we watched two different TV shows because what I saw looked like it was basically, okay, now that I'm describing it i feel like it's a lot of skin but i feel like it was like basically like a military outfit like not outfit but uh like a military uh almost jacket over her chest and then she had like a belt on with some grenades or something no if 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 what she was wearing was military it was web belts only web belts and <laughs> suspenders well I guess because of how scandally clad she was dressing, they created a bill that made it to where you can't dress that way anymore. The spark be a hero. It was the regulations for its exposed skins and costumes bill. Yeah, but she brings up a really good point, something that I hadn't considered, and, and it's definitely a good point for Momo's case, and I guess hers as well. She has to access her skin to be able to actually use her powers. So having little to no clothing on actually helps her powers. Correct, and and she does use well, you and I both equated this this idea that there is utility in the case of some heroes um, to showing more skin like Momo does um, versus what I guess the other side of this argument would be is um, it would be like utility versus intentional lewdness. 
Sure. Um, so I guess that that's the debate. And then the two, so Mount Lady and Midnight get into this like spat where Mount Lady is totally like pooping on Midnight and starts like calling her old. She's like, I think yeah. you're great for your age. And then they start yelling and then it like pans away to Mineta sitting in his room and and it says, it does this all the time, like, especially in this episode, but pretty much any time a hero is on the screen for the first time in an episode, it'll remind you of what their name is and then what their Quirk's name is. So there's this scene where Mineta is sitting at his desk and it says, Mineta, Quirk, pop off. And I just wrote, pop off is about to happen for realsies, but it isn't that kind of anime because like in the background, you can hear the two ladies like screaming and then there's like, they're, they're shouting at one another that they ripped such and such piece of clothing and all this stuff, and Mineta is just, like, losing his mind. Yeah, I've just got that Mineta's pulling a Master Roshi. Oh, definitely, 100%. Yeah, I feel like there was even a bleeding nose uh, scene there, so... Well, it didn't... It wasn't so strong that it, like, ejected him off of the... Uh, uh, like, out of his chair, if he did well, have it. It cut away. We didn't see that part. Oh, that's true. <laughs> that's true. But it's fun. I mean, I, I still like... I, Mineta catches a lot of crap, and rightfully so. I mean, if if he were a real human being, sure. Like, spit on the guy. Uh, but as a, like a, you know, funny little comic break here and there, he's he's more than tolerable. Like, he's anytime that he's on the screen, you know he's going to be lewd and crass and inappropriate. And it's just, I don't know, it's, it's funny. Yeah, he's definitely a, a comedic relief to the show in general. Now, I got to say, though, since we're speaking of Mineta, he really shocked me this episode because right after we get this awesome scene with him and Midnight and Mount Lady, we go back into the classroom where they're discussing, I guess, like midterms and how they all stacked up in the midterms compared to where they're going to be for their finals and whether or not they're ready. And they are ranking them like we get these pop ups of each individual character. Mineta is in ninth place. How in the world did he get into ninth place? Like, did the midterm not have any physical requirements at all? I don't guess so. And it's actually kind of funny because they show the ranking of some of the other students before it gets around to Mineta. And then it shows Mineta's as a nine. And Kaminari and Mina are like, how are you a nine? As if they can, like, see his ranking. Right. And he's just like, I guess the world just wants it to be so or something like this. And it, He's it so smug funny. about it. He yeah, is. it's great. But it just blew my mind. I couldn't believe that he was in the top 10. Like, I don't even think he deserves to be in 1A. So to be in the top 10, you know what I mean? Like, I could think almost everyone above him, except for your sparkling, twinkling toes, he, those are the only two that I really question. Like, how are they not last place? Yeah. So I, I, I took the time to kind of pause as, as we went through these things and try to catch where everybody was ranked. So uh, Kaminari and Mina are 20 and 19, respectively. They're at the bottom of the class. Uh, well, and it, it kind of seemed like one of the reasons they were at the bottom of their class is that they have a hard time controlling their quirks. I feel like that was brought up. That was brought up. I thought that was brought up in relation to like if if the final exam is going to be against human beings, then they have a harder time controlling it. Okay. Um, because they they remember they were like super psyched about like yes robots we don't have to control stuff so much and then that's they right because <laughs> someone someone had kind of leaked that it was just going to be the robot entry exam fight. Yeah, it's one of the characters from 1B whose yeah, name Manoma. is eluding me. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Manoma. Was it Manoma? It? I remember Manoma comes oh, in no, later Manoma. on and he starts trash talking 1A. Yeah, Manoma comes in and trash talks 1A. Kendo, who was working with uh, Uwabawi, or U- Uwabami is, I believe, her name, and uh, uh, Yayi Rosa in the internship. She's the one that shows up and like yeah. knocks Manoma out and is like, oh, sorry for him, just so you guys know. 
the entrance exam is going to be repeated for the final exam. Yeah, because so. Manoma get he gets upset because he's like, we had an informational advantage, and she's just yeah. like, just shut up. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, back back to the classroom. I guess they're not aware of that yet. They're just going through the rankings. So yeah, not yet. So Ayoyama is eighteen. Saro is seventeen, and. I don't know why this has never struck me. It's weird how like some of this stuff is timed out, but Saro reminds me of a South Park character, and it is 100% his mouth. Like every time I see him on screen, I'm like, gosh, he reminds me of somebody from another franchise, and it's he's got a South Park mouth. Like if you go and you see like holy cow, he does like Cartman yeah. smiling or something like that. It smiles. Yeah. That's that's the kind of smile Saro wears. So it took me I don't know 30 something episodes to figure that out, but there you go. Yeah, no, I totally see it. Um, 16 is Hagakure, 15 Kirishima, 14 Tokoyami, 13 is Ochako, then you have Sato at 12, Koda at 11, Shoji is 10, Mineta we've already discussed is 9, Ojiro is 8, Jiro is 7, Sue is 6, and then the top 5 um, going from 5 to 1 are Todoroki, Midoriya, Bakugo, Ida, and Momo. I can't believe that Momo's number one. That's I totally can. Me. She has a book on her behind. How could she not be number one? Well, that's true. And, and I keep forgetting, like, I don't think the midterms had anything to do with their quirks. Yeah, she's whip smart. I mean, we've, yeah. we felt that way from the first time she opened her mouth and, like, deconstructed the, uh, was it the entrance exam or the heroes versus uh, villains thing very early on? We were just like, okay, she's smart. We're, yeah. we're on it. And this, this episode only proves that all the more. So she, yeah, no, you're definitely right about that. And at the, if I remember correctly, at the end of kind of everybody talking about these, this final exam, she's offering to give people tutoring lessons. Yeah, she's like, and she's excited about it. She's super excited to have people over at her house for a study session, and um, she she kind of gives it an invitation to everybody, but only a handful of them go over there. Like I know Kaminari, Mina do for sure. Yeah, I think um, Kirishima decided to meet up with Bakugo to get tutoring from him. Okay. Yeah, there's a handful that go over there. But surprisingly, to much to my shock, Mineta doesn't take the opportunity to go to Momo's house. Yeah, that's um, shocking. I didn't even think about that till just now. Yeah, I was like, if why is Mineta not there? I mean, I would think that he's always talking about Momo's boobs. So why would he not just, you know get into her home. I mean, I, it just feels like that would be something that he would do, but he doesn't. Maybe he wasn't invited. I don't know. Or, or, yeah, or maybe she intentionally, like, off-panel or off-screen was just like, yeah, you can't come. You yeah. know, like, it wasn't just <laughs> that, it wasn't like passively you weren't invited. He was actively told that he wasn't allowed in her home or within the 30 feet that the restraining order says. Right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, so, they, you know, it, it's it's really neat that they kind of blitz through the written section of this uh this stuff because all those rankings were midterm rankings and so the final exam has got two point or two parts it's this written exam uh and then you have the practical exam uh which we'll get to in just a second and the studying and the actual taking of the written exam takes place over the course of three days and about 30 seconds of, of air time which i yeah. i appreciated yeah, I did too. I think that they pretty much just go through it, and then it shows all of them like in the classroom discussing amongst themselves immediately afterwards. Yes, and then this is when they start kind of spitballing about what this practical exam is going to look like. This is when that uh, we already covered the Monoma scene in the lunchroom where Kendo comes in and kind of smacks him around, and there's rumors that it's going to be very much like the entrance exam, uh, but... There's there's still some a little worried. This is where Mina and Kaminari are getting excited. They're like, "Yay, we don't have to control our quirks." 
And then Bakugo has this confrontation with them and also Todoroki and Midoriya at the same time because that's what Bakugo does. And he's like, if you need to control your quirk, then you, then control it. Um, he's still super after that being number one indisputable hero, uh, possibly even more like now more than ever because as Deku's uh, control over his quirk increases, you can't help but think that Bakugo's resentment and the the feeling of a perceived threat in Midoriya increases right along with that. Yeah, it increases a lot, it seems like. Um, it's interesting that he was kind of talking down to the other people in the Japanese version, because I know you're not watching the dub. Uh, whenever I watched the dub, he didn't speak to anyone else except for Midoriya. Like, he called him out and was like, look, I'm going to beat you up. And then he, like, Todoroki says something, and he's like, and I'll kill you too. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I just have classic uh, Bakugo. He says to Midoriya, I, I'll kill you. And then he looks at Todoroki and says, you too. Yeah. Yeah, like that guy is really good at walking into a room and just pissing everybody off within a few seconds. It's pretty incredible, actually. Yeah, he's he's kind of great. We we like Bakugo around these I parts. Do, I do. And uh, I th- I saw that you had mentioned in our Discord uh, that he just got a DLC portion for that Jump Force fighting game. Yeah, yeah, he's coming to Jump Force. I don't know yeah. how excited that is or isn't going to make people. I mean, that, yeah, I that game is 100% fan service, and I hear that it doesn't like really do well as a game. It doesn't. Yeah, that's what I've heard too. In fact, I've had multiple employees of game stores tell me like, "Don't waste your money on that game." Like, it sounds so cool, uh, but then the gameplay itself is just kind of mediocre. Yeah, that's what uh, I've but heard. But I did watch some of it, and it looks like they nailed his moves pretty cool. I mean, like they he looks really cool in that game. It looks like one of his super moves is that howitzer thing that he used against Todoroki yeah. in the, the yeah, thing where he turns himself into like a tornado. Yeah, it looked cool. Uh, I mean, and that's the interesting thing about that game is it looks really cool. I've just not heard anything good about it other than it looks cool, you know? Yeah, I mean, if you watch any of the any gameplay um, from that game, regardless of how good or bad the game is or isn't, if you are watching a character that you're familiar with, you will be impressed by the lengths that they go to to make that character feel, move, and fight authentic to the way that character does so in his or her respective anime it's it's yeah. really tightly done that's for sure it is yeah they they all look like they were literally ripped out of their pages of shonen jump like yeah it is they're identical to the way they should be which is great it's really cool anyways back to to my hero here yeah um, we we aren't the only ones that hear bakugo kind of shouting threats um at midoriya and todoroki because aizawa is is standing kind of out in the hallway and with a clipboard i guess in his hands and when Bakugo kind of explodes and then walks off, Aizawa just says, he, he's gotten worse than I thought. I mean, it, they, they continue. They aren't quite as focused on it as I, as I think they used to be about how aggressive and violent and how like on the edge of just breaking bad and being a villain Bakugo is. But they still tease it every now and then. Um, and Aizawa does just that here. It's just like, man, he's, he's gotten worse. And a couple episodes ago, you had the best genius worrying about the, the exact same thing. I wonder if they're all in communication with each other. Like, I, I can only imagine they are. Uh, it's a relatively small school, it seems like. But I wonder if they're all aware of just how bad Bakugo's getting. You know what I mean? Like, if the best genus had a conversation with Aizawa and was like, hey, just so you know, here's right. some stuff I saw, you know? Yeah, I mean, he had to have at least turned in some sort of paperwork to the school about his experience with their student as an intern, right? As a, kind so, of like an yeah. exit interview kind of thing or some such. 
Yeah, I, I would think so. I would be interested in seeing those reports, actually. I, I would be really interested in seeing what people said about the individual kids. Like, that would be kind of neat to see. Yeah, definitely. That, man, now I really wish those existed, Adam. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, I guess maybe we, maybe we should write them. That would be fun. Like, I don't know. That could be weird fan fiction, too, though. Just like, okay, so we're, we're about to transition. They're about to show up to this, uh, this series of arenas, I guess, where they're going to take the practical exam. Um, and they, they get there, there's a mess of faculty there and Aizawa is kind of taking the lead and doing most of the talking. And then, uh, your, your boy, Teddy Ruxpin comes out of Aizawa's cloak for some reason. Like, why was he in there? I have that exact note. Why was Nezu in Aizawa's scarf? Like that screams evil to me. Oh, okay. So (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) It doesn't scream evil to me, but it doesn't scream Aizawa to me. It doesn't scream weird. Like Aizawa would totally like if Nezu was like, I want to hide in your cloak. I feel like Aizawa would be like, that's so extra. No, like that's not what we're doing. But then I can totally see Nezu being like, well, I'm the principal. So do you like working here? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's funny. That screams evil to me. He says yeah. that was that, yeah. that, that got me a little bit. <laughs> uh, so they they announced to the to the. In fact, uh, I even have a, a, another note below this. Uh, Teddy is what I've got written down because for not, for some reason we've named him Teddy Ruxpin. Teddy at one point says, "Let's push them." Talking about the kids, and I just have written down, "I heard let's kill them." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're just trying to make this like a self fulfilling prophecy. Like you're just going to continue to weave this narrative, not weave, bend, bend this narrative around Nesu because you think absolutely. that he's a bad guy. Yeah, when we're going to find out uh, next week's episode because I know that he's fighting a student. So we're going to see how evil this guy really is, and I'm looking forward to it. That is true. So, And we're going to talk about who he's fighting in just a second, which is great. <laughs> um, so they explained that they've changed it just to keep things. I think they wanted to make it um, a little bit more true and, and prepare the students a little bit better for the next their next evolution as heroes. So they wanted to make it a little bit more realistic to what they could experience actually out in the field, which isn't just going to be robots. I think there's that. And there, there's also the idea that like, they know the league of villains is on the up and up, you know what I mean? So they're trying to get these kids ready faster than they would otherwise. Very true. And so they explain that it's going to be uh, two students versus one teacher. And they do these really cool versus screens that look like they came straight out of a, like a versus video game, like, like Dragon oh, yeah. Ball fighters it's like this team on the left versus and then uh, the team on the right, which is just one one teacher. But they still look really awesome. And so the teams break down like this. Um, and a couple of these are, are explained. And this is another thing. This is kind of that weird transition that I dropped earlier when we were talking about, man, I really wish that those reports existed of the the mentor saying, this is my experience with this student. I wish they had taken the time to explain some of the way that these teams fell out because for Momo and Todoroki's and Midoriya and Bakugo's, you actually hear inside of the little like teacher conference, why it is that those teams were selected against this particular teacher, even in one case. And I was like, man, I would really like to have heard the teachers explain why each of these fell out like they did. But I guess yeah. it gives you and I more to talk about anyway. Well, I had the same thought actually because they we we have these scenes going back and forth between like the kids and the teachers, and then like the teachers having a conference, and it seemed really cool because they're all talking about the like strengths and weaknesses of these kids and why they're going to put them against certain teachers, and I'm like, that's that's cool information. Like, I want to know more about these teachers in general. So, 
Yeah, I'm right there with you, man. All right, so the matches fall out like this, and I don't think I have them written down like in, in the order that they take place. In fact, I know that I don't, but um, here's here's how they were presented to us. So Momo and Todoroki, or Yayorozu and Todoroki, are going to face off against Aizawa, and this is one that is explained by the teachers. It's brute strength versus the inability to make quick decisions. Like Todoroki is the one who is, he's brute strength. He goes hard all the time. And then you have Momo, who is, if she has a fault, it's that she's she overthinks and she has a hard time making snap decisions. Um, and Todoroki is the opposite. Um, so they paired them against Aizawa. They put Midoriya and Bakugo together just because they don't get along. Um, that's straight out of Aizawa's mouth. He looks at All Might and he's like, we're, we're putting Midoriya and Bakugo against you just because those two don't like one another. Um, so that'll be an interesting obstacle for the two of them to overcome because... Really, if you think about that fight, which we won't get to in these two episodes, their biggest obstacle is their team, not All Might. Uh, so well, that's going to be interesting. I would definitely agree, but I would also tack on to that the fact that like, I think one of the biggest reasons that they have Midoriya fighting All Might is to get over his love of All Might. Like he, They need to know that Midoriya can use his powers against anybody, regardless of who they are. I mean, if All Might... If, if for some reason All Might snapped, no one is going to go against him. You know what I'm saying? And Midoriya definitely wouldn't. So I get the feeling some of this is also like, hey, we need you to be okay with beating up on All Might a little bit. Hmm. Like a systematic desensitization? Kind of, yeah. I mean, I, I think to some extent Midoriya has this, like, he holds All Might on this pedestal, makes him like a god. And I think that by showing Midoriya, like, even you could probably take on All Might with your current powers. Like, you can't bring him down, but we're going to make it to where you can at least stand next to him. It kind of teaches him that no one can be in his way. Because at the moment, I think Midoriya considers himself kind of the second rate. You know, like, no matter what, he will always be second rate in All Might. And if these teachers want to push him to be number one, then he has to get that out of his mind. He has to be able to defeat All Might. Yeah, if if what you say is true, then this would be the second time that he heard a similar message from somebody who was in a teaching or mentoring position with him because Gran Torino said almost the exact same thing at the very top of their internship. He was just like, listen, right. you, you've got him on way too high a pedestal here. And it's not that... Well, I don't think Gran Torino needed Midoriya to bring All Might down in his mind so much as to lift himself up in his mind, which would be accomplished similarly in, in the scenario that you're outlining. Totally. Yeah. And I almost wonder if they pitted them against each other off of Gran Torino's recommendation. Like if he really did turn in a piece of paper that said, here is where Midoriya needs to improve, you know, they may have gleaned that information from that. So well, now I want that stuff to exist even more, Adam, because then we could have answers. <laughs> right. And not just be like spitballing and get told we're wrong. Um, <laughs> So we've got Kirishima and Sato versus, or Sato versus Cementos is the next one. We do get to that one um, along with uh, the next two in these set of episodes. You got Sue versus Tok- or Sue and Tokoyami versus a teacher named Ectoplasm, who we've only kind of, I don't think, have we seen him? I know we've talked about him uh, off air a little I- bit just because his face pops up on the wiki that we use all the time. I feel like he was at usj even if it was just for a second okay because i know that some of the other teachers in this episode were there like snipe was there he was kind of focused on and uh present mike showed up but i i could have sworn that that cement or not cementos but uh ectoplasm was there yeah okay well he's the mathematics teacher we learned um, he teaches Which math. I also think is so strange. The idea that, like, like present Mike being an English teacher, I kind of understand. Like, he talks all the time. He's an announcer. 
he probably has good proper English, you know, but I don't know. Ectoplasm, this dude, his quirk basically is that he clones himself and he can clone himself up to 30 times. Why does he teach math? Because he can... It just seems... Because he can mathematize? Because he can count to 30 flawlessly. Um, Maybe that's it. Yeah. Maybe that's what it is. Um, Next up is Ida Inojiro versus a guy whose name is Power Loader, and he looks like Agumon from Digimon, like outside of his little mech suit, which which we see him in later on, but standing out in front of these this arena and in his little title card. If you Google Agumon and then in another tab, open up a picture of Power Loader, it's it's uncanny, the resemblance. It's oh, yeah. it's almost as if it is unintentional, which I'm not convinced it isn't. Yeah, they totally look a lot. He looks like several Digimon in my mind. So um, Then you have Ochako and Aoyama versus 13, Mina and Kaminari versus Nezu. And this is this is great. I was tell, telling you about how awesome these little like versus screen title cards are. Did you see Nezu's? Yes. Did you not? Evil. Evil. I'm telling you. Oh. Man, he, did you see it? He's like, he looks so evil in that He thing. looks super happy. He looks like a Mew from Pokemon with his like long tail and he's like jumping or floating in the air. But the best is part we, about his title card is that Mina and Kaminari are looking over at him and they look confused as hell. They're, they're just like, what are we... What are we up against? Is this real? I mean, <laughs> all the other ones, everybody looks serious and ready to go. Kaminari and Mina are just like, what? <laughs> it's great. That's, that's funny, because I, I could have sworn the one I saw, he was like, he had like white, black eyes or something, and it was like this crazy background. Maybe my brain is just like subconsciously doing this to me. I thought he was smiling and looked happy as all get out, but one of us is misremembering it. We'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, pre- Present Mike will be scrapping with Jiro and Koda, and then Hagakare, who's the invisible young lady, and Shoji are going to be versus Snipe, and then last is Mineta and Saro versus Midnight. And of course, I, who in the world, what, I mean, the, every, presumably all of the teachers signed off on Mineta Going toe to toe with Midnight, and at one uh, you point, you know Midnight loves it. She's she's totally got like this weird attention seeking personality. I think. Well, and before they get to like what the objective, or after they get to what the objectives are for the match, Mineta is just like, so the problem is how to strip Miss Midnight, right? And I'm just like, yeah. man, he can't not just go down that super pervy path. Like that's just what he does. Yeah, and I think Saro even calls him a scumbag for it. He totally does. Yeah, it's great. But I, I think that Aizawa probably realizes that Mineta has a total obsession with women, and so he pitted him against it so that way he could get past it, or try to at least. Oh, yeah. I, I think that's totally the point there. It is. I, I, can, I agree. I, don't, I think that that is a whole lot of well-wishing, though. I mean, Mineta is, perv's got a perv. We've been saying it since probably like episode two or three of this podcast, and it's never oh, not yeah. going to be the case when we're talking about Mineta. No, that's totally true. <laughs> but the real objective isn't to strip your opponent. It is either to ha- put a, place a handcuff on your uh, your faculty member opponent or to have one member of your team, at minimum, um, escape the arena. So it's like they're trying to get the students to understand that every fight doesn't necessarily have to culminate and, and exist in its entirety as a fight. Sometimes you got to know when it's best to take your take your you know cut your losses and 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 flee and even possibly flee to go and get reinforcements and they actually like single out Todoroki and Deku and Ida and they're like right guys you know we, yeah. you know they continue to get chastised for this thing which has got to be so frustrating knowing that they kind of handled that situation in a really really good way you know what i mean like yeah. they, it could have gone so worse and they have to keep shut about it it kind of sucks it definitely does um 
And then you have well, the teachers also are going to be handicapped by wearing uh, half of their body weight as like like these metal bands on their arms and legs. It kind of just down. reminded me of like Goku's weighted armor. Yeah. Or weighted gi, I guess. Definitely. I mean, half of your body weight, that's not nothing, especially if you're no. trying to like run around and be mobile. But you, at the same time, I mean, we're going to get to this in a second. Aizawa doesn't look like he was slowed down at all. Well... I was okay, so I because I, I was actually thinking it was really funny when All Might put on his armor because he was like, "Oh, holy cow! Like I cannot believe how much I weigh." You know? Yeah. So and this is of course proportional, but All Might's probably like what I think he said close to seven hundred pounds at one point in time. So his his weight is going to be astronomically higher than Izawa's. Like I, I realize that Izawa is also not as strong as All Might. But with All Might being in his weakened form, maybe that's going to be a little different. I'm just thinking with Aizawa, I mean, his probably max was like 75 pounds. And that seems like it wouldn't be too much to slow him down. You I, mean, I mean, it's still 50% of your body weight, though. I mean, so it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a percentage thing. All Might weighs 560-something pounds, if I converted the kilograms right. Because um, it's like 250 kilograms. Uh, so, you know, he's, he's carrying around a lot of weight. That's like, that's over 250 extra pounds. Right. Aizawa, if he's like my size-ish, you know, he's carrying 70, 80 pounds, something like that. Maybe maybe 90 if he's like just, you know, like super tight, you know, and, and just, what's that, what's that, like, not like wiry, like he's dense for his size. Sure, uh, sure. And 50% of your body weight, I don't care how much you weigh, that's a significant increase in, in what you're lugging around. Cause I do that. Yeah, I mean, right. I, I ruck, um, regularly with over half of my body weight and I'm not running around on power lines at the same time either. That's true. But I also feel like I was probably often saving 90 pound people. Does that make sense? Yeah, I guess that's true. I guess like my thought process is like, I, I get that it's a percentage of your body weight. So everyone should be roughly equal to how strong they are. But at the same time, like All Might's probably not often having to save 400 pound people, like fly around with them. Whereas I could see Aizawa, like if he's a pro hero out saving the day or whatever, he could easily pick up a 90 pound kid and, and probably go off with them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's not tying up limbs. So it's not like he's having to carry around in his two arms 90 pounds. Right. So it's, it's, it's like weighted uh, wristbands and armbands almost and like ankle bands. Yeah. Now, I think if they had really wanted to possibly punish Aizawa they should have weighted his scarf because that's what he uses to kind of fly around that would have actually weighed him down proportionally across his entire body and that would have made him really top heavy too which is a right. that's a whole different kind of weight distribution right right like so that's true um but anyways that's I, I did like the fact that they kind of handicapped the kids you know like okay we're gonna we're gonna have these teachers not could totally pummel you well uh, they say that, but then there, there are two of the teachers that we're about to look at in just a second who don't move at all during the yeah. entire match. Ectoplasm no, and Cementos do not take a single step. So uh, it almost completely defeated the purpose for them. Yeah, well, that's not true. Ectoplasm does get a little scrappy when uh, dark with Dark Shadow towards the very end. But for the majority, they were just standing stock still the entire time. Cementos, for sure. All he does is, is take a seat. He gets on his knees. Um, so this is that's the first fight that we're treated to is uh, Sato and Kirishima versus Cementos. And this is the first time we get to see uh, Sato do anything. And he is the one whose quirk is, what, what do they call it? It's sugar something. He's, he calls himself Sugar I Man. Thought, That's his hero. I thought he was the sugar hero. Sugar hero. And we had no idea what that meant. 
because we'd never seen him do anything. Uh, we'd just seen him in like a cool like one piece wrestling outfit thing. It's sugar uh, rush. That's yeah, what that's is. what it is, and that makes sense because like even off air, we we literally compared it to having a sugar rush. Um, so well, there you go. The the naming conventions of the quirks being as literal and, and simple as possible continues. So this is pretty cool. So his his quirk it's it's him and Kirishima, both of whom are going to be your like up close and personal physical brawler types, because Sugar Man's quirk is that for every ten grams of sugars that he ingests, he gets five times stronger for three minutes, and then he can like eat more sugar to extend that uh, period of time. So he's literally on a sugar rush, like it's just a super powered sugar rush. And he has a in his little belt pouches. He's got uh, presumably, I guess, ten gram serving sizes of sugar stashed everywhere. Yeah, I'm actually reading his uh, little Wikipedia page. Interestingly enough, his Japanese name is Sugar Dope. Um, <laughs> that makes sense. That was, yeah, it makes sense. Uh, it does say that his belt's equipped with pockets that hold small containers of granulated sugar, which he can take out to ingest the contents inside. Uh, it gives him the quick method to empower himself. Uh, another quick trivia fact: Apparently, he is remarkably skilled in baking confectionery. Well, there you go. Yeah, can't include that in Trivia Tuesdays now. Thanks, Adam. Um, Dang it! <laughs> <laughs> but he does have a downside. Um, it's that the longer—I mean, it's just like a sugar rush. You have this like crazy high with all this energy and extra strength, and then you crash afterwards. In his crash, he gets sleepy and lethargic, and possibly also dumber. Uh, and we see that in action here as him and uh, Kirishima don't exactly take the uh, the smartest approach to Cementos, who, like I said, he just gets down on his hands and knees and starts shooting up these cement blocks between him and the two combatants. And their strategy is just to break them all down. And this is this is kind of funny because it's during this scene or during this fight where we cut to a scene where Midoriya's sitting up in the viewing room and recovery girl's there who explains to them that the exams are intentionally designed to pit students against teacher against whom they'd have a hard time. And then you cut back to the boys and they're like, hey, we're just going to keep breaking these these, uh, blocks down because eventually he's going to get tired, which is kind of their understanding of what Bakugo explained about quirks being physical. But then at the same time, they're forgetting that their quirks work that exact same way. Um, so they just start breaking all these blocks and just tire themselves, slap out, and then Cementos just encases them in cement, and that's the end. Yeah, it was a pretty quick over and done, you know. And it, I guess it kind of makes sense that they would try and do those full frontal assaults like that. But even I think even Cementos was like, wow, that's really what they're going with, huh? <laughs> yeah. And he takes the time to explain to them, you know, you, you guys tried this full frontal rush assault and you totally forgot that your quirks have limits too. I mean, there's a cool scene where like Kirishima goes to break a block and ends up hurting his hand because he's kind of lost that rigidity down there. And then Sugar Man is just standing there all doped out. So the end of this episode is kind of a teaser of the next match, which is going to be Sue and Tokoyami versus the math teacher ectoplasm. And that yeah, takes us and- into episode 35. Yayorozu rising. Yeah, that, that does take us right into 35. Before we get there, I, I do want to quick mention, uh, the, while we were watching, Midoriya and uh, Chaco is actually in the room with him and uh, Medical Lady. Why do I always call her Medical Lady? What's her name? Recovery, Recovery Girl. Girl. Thank you. Uh, 
there's this kind of a quick conversation, a quick flashback where there are all these different students are talking with each other, trying to get strategies together to actually fight these teachers. And Bakugo wants nothing to do with Midoriya, and Achako was not able to really strategize with uh, the Twinkling Hero. So that's the reason they're in there hanging out. It yeah. seems like, I mean... Aoyama's too busy admiring himself in the mirror. Literally, that's what he's doing in the background. Yeah, so... I just thought that was interesting. Uh, you know, it seems like it doesn't seem too much like Sato and Kirishima really work together either. It's just like, hey, we're really strong. Let's just bash these things. However, going into episode 35, we've got Tokoyami and Sue versus Ectoplasm. And those two were like, all right, here's how my quirk works. Like, they seemed like they were really working together. They were on point. It was This was an awesome fight. Yeah, so they their approach was to just flee like from the beginning it was not to fight if unless they absolutely had to in order to advance towards the exit and they used this kind of cool slingshot technique where sue jumps up and then tokoyami uses the dark shadow to like latch onto her and then he flings himself up and they they do this like back and forth until they get a level or two over where ectoplasm's clones are because we learned that ectoplasm's quirk is that he has the ability to like kind of cough up or, or spew out this mist from his mouth and they transform into clones and he can have 30 of them at once or uh, he can have one super gigantic one uh, and his quirk also says that he can uh, he can push his limits all the way to 36 if he's feeling good and present Mike during the little discussion of what his quirk is says that when he's singing well at karaoke he's been able to produce as many as 36 which means that like ectoplasm can harmonize with himself and generate his own backup singers and even have his own choir and karaoke, right. which That's is pretty like, fun. All I could think of was just like Friday night drink nights with the UA high teachers. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. They're all just like just slamming shots and ectoplasms up there, like throwing up backup singers and just screaming on the karaoke machine. And it's super fun because I think again, we kind of cut back away from, because they seemed successful at first. They were able to leap up and out of the way of the clones. And then we cut to Recovery Girl, who's explaining the weaknesses on the field. And she's like, well, Tokoyami's weakness is proximity. If you get in close, Dark Shadow's utility diminishes very quickly. And then she's like, Sue doesn't really have any weaknesses. She's just a really good uh, ally. She's very versatile. And then she's really good at emotional support. Uh, and so they were looking to see how those two overcame specifically Tokoyami's weakness to see if they could uh, could overcome that together as a unit, uh, presumably using, you know, obviously Sue, uh, Sue's quirk in conjunction with his. And they actually do pretty good. I mean, they're popping clones as they're running towards the exit, but when they get there, Ectoplasm's just standing there. He's been there the whole time, and he does, instead of the 30 clones... Uh, he unleashes this one super mega giant one, and it's disconcerting to say the least. Yeah, I mean, they they immediately get stuck in this weird clone, and I'm not even really sure what it's made out of, but it looks like it's almost absorbed them, like they're stuck in his forehead or something. Yeah, I think ectoplasm, I mean, if you stick to you know the sci-fi definition or understanding of it from things like Ghostbusters, is it's like it's really sticky and viscous. Yeah. Um, so he manages to manifest this giant clone and it, it um, attack on Titans them, just chomps down on the yep. ledge that they're standing on and they get stuck. Well, and then it, it seems like Dark Shadow, who is Tokiyami's like, we don't even really know, is is Dark Shadow his quirk or is his quirk the ability to like control Dark Shadow? I don't know. I said that I'm I'm a little fuzzy on the details with him because Dark Shadow sounds more like an infection or a, a possession. Like a possession. Yeah. yeah. So well, I, don't, regardless, I don't really know. 
Yeah, regardless, Dark Shadow ends up fighting the main body of Ectoplasm while Tokoyami and Sue are held up. And poor Sue is like, I think I can get us out of this, but I need you to look away. And we get this scene where uh, Dark Shadow is fighting off Ectoplasm, keeping him busy, basically. And Sue is just making these nasty retching noises kind of in the background. And then Shadow comes back. She He grabs something from Sue, goes to attack Ectoplasm one more time, and as Ectoplasm looks like he's about to do some sort of big, bad finishing move, kind of, uh, it l- turns out that Dark Shadow has basically cuffed this guy. Like, it's just one hand, it looked like. On but his I guess peg that's leg. Good enough. It was yeah, on his on peg, peg leg. leg. So, but I guess that one cuff was good enough to get them to win. Uh, so they win, and I thought that was pretty cool. Like it turned out that Sue was holding those cuffs in her stomach, and I, it kind of a tie back to season one when she mentions that she can regurgitate things from her stomach. Yeah, it was very cool. You know, actual showcase of something that they had teased before. And ectoplasm, we don't see any hands on him at all, ever. It's like he's yeah. wearing this weird armless um, like trench coat. And his legs, the two appendages appendages of his that we do see are peg-legged, which is, I was just like, peg-legs, all right. I mean, it's a design decision, I guess. It doesn't have to be a reason for him. It's still cool. Yeah, I, everything about him strikes me as a villain. Like, the way he looks, the way he talks, like, his deep voice, everything about him seems you, like a villain. Do you hear yourself? I know, I know. <laughs> do you hear yourself talking about how ectoplasm, everything about him screams villain? Well, in the same breath, a few minutes ago, you were saying that everything about Nezu screams villain. How do you hold those two things in your hands at the same time? Uh, I don't know. That's a, they're two different hands. That's how. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Have you noticed that Aizawa and Nezu have the same scar? Uh, I know that they have a scar underneath their, what is it, their right eye? Their right eye, yeah. I just thought it was interesting. I bet they're not related, but for some reason in my mind, I'm like, I bet they did that to each other. They did it to one another. Yep, that's the yeah. leading. That's <laughs> you have some bonkers ideas sometimes. Yeah, I know. They're just like, hey, let's give each other an eye scar, and then just we to can be like, cool. Yeah, just to be cool. Like yeah, chick chick scars. Yeah, <laughs> just so two knucklehead podcast hosts will talk about us later. Um, I think so. So we we transition pretty quickly out of that one into the next match, which doesn't last very long. It's uh, Ida and Ojiro versus Power Loader. Uh, and this match is kind of chaotic because Power yeah. Loader's quirk is that he can dig underground even in this mech suit thing. So he's sending up all these like pitfall traps between where they are in this dirt arena. It looks almost like a construction zone. Uh, so they're trying to figure out how they're going to get across there. Because uh, they're pretty much trying to escape too. They're not trying oh, yeah. to fight this guy. Yeah. Well, they can't even and, see him to fight him. Right. And I, I wasn't too sure. My understanding is around the arena that they're in, there are also planted bombs. So I couldn't figure out if that was part of the arena or if Power Loader was going through like digging holes, planting these like, you know, mines as well. Yeah. I thought that it was something of, of Power Loader's doing, whatever was causing those, um, those little, because like Ojiro throws a rock with his tail and, and something blows up. And I, I assume right. that that was Power Loader's doing. Yeah, I kind of figured as well. Uh, but as far as I could tell, it looked like he was just digging holes, so I wasn't too sure. But they were able to get away. It's actually really awesome. Uh, Ida comes up with this great idea to basically use his full reciproco like spin kick, basically, with Ojiro attached to him with his tail and throws him through the finish line so that way he can escape. And I, I was like, man, I'm, that's... I'm going to stop you right there. I'm going to let you finish. But you okay. skipped over literally the best part of this entire match. All right, what part is that? It was when Ida yells fusion, 
and Ojiro just hops on his back piggyback style. Oh my god, yes, I did. I totally forgot the best part. Yeah, he, he does. He just screams fusion, and then Ojiro's like, okay. <laughs> just And he's just like, this is so weird, and it is so weird, but it made me laugh out loud. Yeah, I think Ojiro does say, like, can you imagine what idiots we look like to everybody else? <laughs> yeah, he's just riding piggyback on Ida. Uh, that was great. Now, if they, had, if they had pulled a fusion dance, I would have remembered that. Yeah. Oh, it made me laugh. It was good. It was good. All right, you can continue with your explanation of how they <laughs> how they uh, overcome the obstacle here. Well, so Ida does his spin kick in the air while Ojiro is attached to him via his tail, <laughs> and then Ida stops and flings him like through that finish line that they need to officially escape. And Power Loader's like, "All right, good job." Yep, that's it. They only one of them had to get out of the room, and he actually yeah. um, commends Ida too on. Making sure like, that his partner escaped without taking any additional damage himself. Yeah, well, and I mean, realistically, if this was a real fight, Ida would have been dead. You know what I mean? Like, I think that was kind of a, like, hey, I'll sacrifice myself to get you out of here. Yeah, he definitely would have been in a new spot of trouble. Yeah, real bad. Bad, bad trouble. So then we transition into Momo and Todoroki versus Aizawa, and I was so excited about this stage, about this this versus match. I mean, this is... This has the makings of something great, and it did not fail to deliver. It was so much fun to watch. It was a fantastic matchup, and it was explained earlier that they had pitted these two on the team because you had Todoroki, who was fast thinking and, and you know brute strength through everything, and Momo, who's a lot more intentional with decisions uh, but is slower to make them. And is struggling with confidence. And they, they address this more than once, where Momo is one of the two. In fact, Todoroki is one of the other ones um, who gets into UA on uh, recommendation. Um, but since she got into UA, she hasn't been all that outstanding. And I think it's starting to take a mental toll on her. And, and it has yeah. significantly diminished her self-confidence. And this is what... This is what this stage is meant to do: is is give her uh, a little bit of her a little bit of her groove back. But it doesn't start off that way because Todoroki has this talk with her, and he's like, "Listen, I just need you to use your quirk to make as many small items as you can, and then just tell me when you can't, because that'll mean Aizawa is near." And I just have this note in in. Uh, on my document that just says, I don't like the way Todoroki talks to Momo here because he just pretty, he just discounts her and turns her into a canary in the mine shaft. And, Mm -hmm. and Momo is feeling it. I mean, she's, she drops her eyes, she's submissive and she's obedient to that. Um, But you could tell that this was just another crushing blow. Uh, And she's, she's having a big existential crisis, even in the midst of this match. Yeah, she takes that pretty rough. I mean, she pretty much immediately, the moment that you can tell that she feels like she cannot voice what she thinks they should do, she just shuts down. And she's like, okay, I'll, I'll do pretty much whatever you say. And that's Todoroki's plan. Like, we're going to get a hold of Aizawa, and then I'm going to kick the crap out of him, and we're not even going to have to worry about you doing anything at all. Yeah, it's uh, a it's bummer. Pretty, I was, yeah, I was really disappointed in Todoroki. Here. It seemed really out of place for Todoroki to me because I feel like for the most part he's worked so well with everybody else that it seemed really weird for him to just all of a sudden not want to work well with somebody. You know yeah. what I mean? I think in his mind he he was working well with her. He it was just that he just mistreated See, her. He didn't treat her as an equal in this one. I didn't think this totally screams that he got this kind of attitude from Endeavor. Oh, like definitely. This, you know what I'm saying? Like this is totally a moment where he was acting like his dad. I feel like. 
Yeah, he took charge. I mean, he's like, listen, I've been doing this my whole life. I've been training under the number two hero. Let's let's rock this thing. You do as I say, and we'll get out of this. And that's basically yeah. what he says. Yeah, pretty much. So I, yeah, uh, I, was, and it, I was pretty disappointed. I was too. Uh, and it ends up working out in Momo's favor, really, because as they're going along, she starts to lose her powers, and Aizawa attacks. And holy cow, does he just decimate Todoroki. Like, within a few seconds, he just takes him out of the equation entirely. He's got him tied up and hanging from a light shaft. I mean... It's crazy. And, and the whole time he's telling Yagorosa, like, just get out of here. Just go away, you know, try and escape now. Like, don't even bother trying to fight this guy. So she runs off. And even Aizawa is like, dude, come on. Like, you're better than this, Todoroki. Yep. And this is why, so my notes are great for this little section, because Aizawa suspends Todoroki and then tosses a bunch of caltrops beneath him. Because Todoroki is a complete moron. And he's just like, well, yeah, oh, yeah, well, as soon as you walk away, I can, like, freeze these or burn them, and I'll just be free. And Aizawa just casually tosses down like a thousand caltrops beneath him, and he's like, yeah, good luck, you punk kid. Like, I'm a pro. <laughs> like, he's he just totally is just like, whatever, dude. I'm totally above you. Yeah. Um, and I'd expect nothing less from the best, who is Aizawa. But then when he starts chastising Todoroki for the way that he treated Momo, I, my notes are just like in all caps. I'm like, can Aizawa be any better than he is? Because everything that this guy does makes me like him even more. And I'm already like ranking him tops you know he's he continues to just be the absolute greatest in all things and this entire battle just the way that he moves and the way that he engages with these students and the way that it finishes is just it's it's tops man it's the best Aizawa is the best character in my hero academia you can totally at me about it because I will tell you how wrong you are if you suggest anybody else is <laughs> I I've got to agree with you on this one, man. Like I really love Aizawa. He he's a great character, and I love watching him fight too. Like yes. I wish that there was more. I don't want to say combat, but like I do wish there were more episodes where we got to see these teachers react. I, I really hope that this show goes the route of uh, Naruto, where like the first big show is all about the kids, and then the second portion of it's going to be more about the adults because that's kind of how they did it with Kakashi and some of the other adults in Naruto, and I thought that was really cool. I would love to see more present Mike and Aizawa at UA. Yeah. He's he's but, he's the best, guys. I got listen, we gotta change subjects here soon because I could talk about Aizawa all day. He's he's definitely the best. definitely so back into this fight, uh Aizawa catches up with Momo and he kind of tries to fight her, but I felt like he sort of took it easy on her at first to see how she was gonna try and turn this around. And she actually ends up having this kind of big kerfuffle where she's like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what decision to make. Like and she's doubting herself really badly, and so she decides to go back and get Todoroki. She gets back, she rescues Todoroki, and Todoroki's like, all right, you know, my plan failed, what have you got? Like, you clearly had something going on, what are you thinking? And it turned out that the the items that she was making to keep track of where Aizawa was, they're these little Russian nesting do- uh, dolls, and she pulls them out, and they turn out to be flash bombs. So right as Aizawa attacks, she throws one and blinds them. Which and is genius I, against Aizawa. Oh my god, I know. I didn't even think about the idea that they might be flash bombs. Well, I kept wondering, because um, she was dropping a bunch, but then she stuck like six of them back into her waistband. And I was like, why is she keeping those? Because I, I was like, she doesn't reabsorb them. What is what is going on here? And then it did, that, that question didn't get its payoff answer until a couple minutes later in the scene that you're describing. Right. And, and so at this point in time, we've got I, Aizawa basically tracking down these two kids. The two kids come up with a plan. 
they there's a scene where Yaya Rosa kind of comes out around the side and she's got it looks like a tarp or something over her and Todoroki. And it's great because what she's actually done is create a replica of Aizawa's weird scarf, like metal alloy thing. And there's kind of a funny scene where she's making it and Todoroki turns around and she has her breast out and she's like making this from her chest. And he's like, oh, oh, God. So, you know. Yeah. And they have this time because Momo is telling Todoroki, no, this time you try to do your quirk. Until and then tell me, uh, you know, as soon as you, it's almost like a reversal. She's right, like, right. you keep trying to make ice, and as soon as you can, it means probably that Aizawa is blinking. You need to turn around and unleash that the biggest ice wall that you can and buy us some time. And uh, this is where they buy that time to make uh, those straps. And um, just to, I, I want to back up b- before we get to the climax of this really quickly because there's a moment in here that I super loved between Todoroki and Momo before Aizawa shows back up. Um, and there's, they're going back and forth about whose plan should work and who should be running lead and point on this. And Todoroki confesses or he shares with Momo. He was like, listen, when we were voting for class rep, you had two votes and I was one of them. Like, right, I yeah. believed that you could do this back then. I thought that was really cool. That was a really cool tie in. I loved that because one of the things that we learn during this episode is, you know, Momo or Kriati or whatever you want to call her with this quirk that she could create all these things by manifesting them from her body. One of the things that she can't create so easily is confidence. And she starts to gain some of that stuff back right here in that scene where Todoroki's like, I thought you should have been class rep. And that's when things swivel for her. That's when she's like, all right, you start making ice. As soon as you don't ice wall, we're going to do this thing with the strap and then we're going to do the tarp thing. And that's, that's where you can pick back up. It's great. I just didn't want to overlook that moment because it's one of my favorites from this entire episode. I'm glad you mentioned it because I totally forgot about it. And I, I do love that moment because you can really see that. I think she looks up to Todoroki a lot and to have somebody that you look up to kind of confirm that you're doing the right thing. There's just not a better feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so they create this massive ice wall. She's got this weird metal alloy-like stuff that it's is kind of similar. It's called nitinol alloy, and nitinol is actually a it's a real life thing. Oh, it is okay. Yeah, and it's it's called a shape memory alloy. It's it's an alloy of nickel and titanium, and it literally does what Yayorozu says that it does. Like if you subject it to a certain measure of heat, that it'll snap back into its original position or original shape, yeah, that's which really is cool. pretty cool. Yeah, and well, and that's exactly what happens. You know, Aizawa spots them, and he thinks that they're trying to get away. She flips off this tarp, and it's actually like a catapult, I think, and it catapults all of this alloy up on top of him. So now he is strangled around it, and then Todoroki comes out from the other side of the tarp, blasts it with fire, and it just wraps him up, and then they're able to cuff him. I, I thought that it was really genius. Like I, I really, really liked the way they took him down. Yeah, and there's there's a there's a moment, and they return to this as this episode winds down, where she goes to trigger the catapult, but she misses the switch. Yeah, and, and it kind of seemed like Aizawa let it happen. Yeah, I I am of the opinion that he did, one hundred percent. He he had an opening, and he didn't take it because his goal wasn't to beat these students; it was to make them better, make them stronger, Absolutely. and this was the way that he was going to do it. It reminded me of when All Might wouldn't stop the fight between Bakugo and Midoriya because he was like, you know, as a teacher, I should probably stop this fight, but I need to let Midoriya do this. Right. It felt just like that. Like, Aizawa knew that he could take them out, but if he did, I don't think Momo ever would have trusted herself again. And I think he knew that. Yep. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. I Aizawa's got to be probably one of the best teachers at UA. Definitely. Best character. Best character. Yeah. 
he's definitely the best. He's my favorite adult character, that's for sure. Um, I I think he is really really great. As far as the students go, I, I, it's so hard to pick a favorite, but I really really like Aizawa a lot. Um, but the, this pretty much once they win, it goes into credits. Now, did you watch the after credits? Because I did this time. Yes. Okay, good. Because there was another moment where after credits, another fight starts, and it's like two or three minutes of that fight, and then it rolls the next time. Correct. So in in that after moment, we've got it's uh, the Twinkling Hero and also uh, Uravity, and they look like they're about to get just messed up. Yeah, thirteen has got her little finger sucking vacuum finger things going on, and they're just holding on for dear life, trying not to get sucked back in there, and they're trying to figure out what in the world to do. And Ayoyama yeah. just takes this moment to start prying into Uraraka's personal life, right? What is this guy's deal? Like he is on another level, man. He, I don't, I'm convinced he's not even in the same universe as the rest of these kids. So he asks in the midst of like, you know, in the midst of this heated battle where they're clinging on for dear life, he's like, do you like him referring to Midoriya? Because she's, she's thinking in, in her mind, what, what would Midoriya do? What would Deku do? And Ayoyama's like, you're thinking about what Deku would do, right? Do you like him? And then it's yeah. just a hard cut. Like, I think there's maybe a split second where you look at Ochako and she's just staring at Ayoyama like, bro, are you in my head right now? And then it just cuts. Well, and we also see Ayoyama, he does this weird thing where he redirects his lasers towards 13, right? Yeah, and they just get sucked up too. I think he loses like his goggles uh, in that moment too. It just gets disintegrated and and sucked up. But I will say it was a moment where I'm like, okay, so maybe he's not totally worthless because he was able to redirect his lasers once or twice throughout his feet, which was kind of cool. He tried. He tried. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that fight is going to be continued in episode 36, which by the way, just while I'm thinking on it, next episode of the AMP is going to cover episodes 36, 37, and also 38. This is the last three episodes of season two. Um, so just be mindful of that. If you're watching along with us, we're going to finish out season two next week. So three episodes instead of two. Yeah. And it, that seems to be a common occurrence for us. I don't, this time it wasn't that we forgot the episodes. It just kind of happened to work that way. Yeah. They're just, just, just how the season is structured, I suppose. Yeah. So, but that'll do it for episodes 34 and 35. Uh, next week we got 36, 37 and 38. Be sure to watch them and we will see you guys next week. See you guys. The Almighty Podcast is a production of the Back Patio Network. If you enjoyed this podcast, please check out our others at backpationetwork.com. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash backpationetwork. And feel free to hit us up on Twitter at at backpationet or at almightypod. We'd love the chance to talk with you.